Hey, welcome, and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Daryl, and this is episode two of the podcast experiment. Today's guest is Crescencio Zamora, BJJ Black Belt, and on this episode, we'll be spotlighting his personal journey. Enjoy. Tell us, uh, tell us something about yourself. I'm in a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I was a black belt since uh, September of uh, 2016. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. I was born in San Jose, California, and I grew up in the Central Coast. I'm a father of four. I'm married, and uh, Jiu-Jitsu is my life, pretty much. It's my number one passion next to my family. Bro, how did you um? How did you end up in Las Vegas? So what happened was, um, I, I used to be a firefighter. I was a firefighter, and I also worked at a uh, heavy equipment uh, company called MRWMD. It was a like a waste management company, and almost I'd say like maybe twice a month, every every other week, I would come out to Vegas because at the time tickets from Monterey to Vegas were about eighty nine bucks round trip. I used to fly out here with a couple of my buddies, and we just hang out for the weekend, and, you know, kind of do the Vegas thing, you know, go down to the Strip and party it up. And uh, I actually met my wife out here. So we dated for about a year, year and a half, and then I was always in Vegas. And finally we decided, like, hey, you know what, let's, let's make a move. You know, either she was going to come out to the Central Coast to Monterey or I was going to move out to Vegas. And I liked Vegas a lot, so I decided to – to move out here and, and, you know, chase, chase a career, um, in law enforcement out here in Las Vegas and the housing market was so much better. And that was one of my goals to buy a house. So I thought for me to grow as a person, it would be a better opportunity to search for that in Vegas. And that, that's why we decided to come out this way. Right. What kind of firefighter were you? Were you like a, a city fire department? Were you like department of forestry? Yeah. So actually, um, right after September 11th is kind of what what drove me to uh, chase a career in like public safety. So, you know, post September 11th, I, it took me about one year to get hired because all the backgrounds and everything got really deep. Um, I got hired in September of uh, 2002 and I started off as a volunteer. So a friend of mine, actually one of my supervisors for the waste management district, he was a, um, an engineer for one of the fire departments in the Monterey Bay. And uh, he was kind of like, Hey, you know what? I, I see you got this drive. You want to do public safety. Why don't you come, you know, pretty much test, test for a volunteer position. So I took him up on that offer and I did that. And uh, I ended up falling in love with it. You know, I started doing, you know, a lot of stuff, community service and helping out the community. And then they ended up paying for me to go through a legit um, firefighter one and wildland firefighter academy. And then that's what I did. I graduated top of the class and uh, I got hired on as a, as a volunteer first. And that was with CDF, which was the state, you know, California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection is what it used to be called back then. I think now it's called like Cal Fire, and I, I just pursued that for uh, I was doing that for about four and a half years. Um, after the state, I wanted to be like the local guy from my local town that got on with, uh, you know, my my hometown department, which was Marina, the city of Marina. So I got on with Marina Public Safety as a paid reserve, and I was there for about uh, maybe like two and a half years, and uh, you know, just continued that and and really wanted to continue that career in public safety. So after you moved to Las Vegas, how long did you get into jiu-jitsu? How long did it take for you? So um, actually, you know, it's funny because I was actually introduced to jiu-jitsu back home in, uh, in California, in the Monterey Bay. Um, I used to work out at this gym when I was about 19 years old. You know, I graduated high school in 2000, and I, I started off as a wrestler since sixth grade. I wrestled from sixth grade all the way to my senior year. So grappling has always been kind of like the art that I've kind of, you know, 
in, involved myself in. Um, I was working out at the gym, like I said, at Terry's Total Fitness, and uh, some guy approached me named Vincent Vanderlip. At the time, he was a brown belt under uh, um, one of the gyms. I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was Daniel Thomas. Yeah, that's who it was, Daniel Thomas from uh, Santa Cruz, California. He was a brown belt under Daniel. And he had saw me lifting weights. You know, I was kind of like a stockier guy. I'm, you know, I'm shorter, so I was about like five foot four, 160 pounds, and I was, you know, putting up some good weight for my size. And he was like, "Hey, you know, you look like a grappler. You look like a wrestler. Have you ever thought about jujitsu?" And, um, you know, of course, you know, growing up, you know, in, in the '90s and stuff, you know, I heard of Hoist Gracie. I saw UFC one and two. Um, my stepfather brought over these VHS tapes back in the days of the old fights. And I was like, man, this is like, I, I loved it. You know, I was always involved in martial arts and grappling. So I was like, you know, this sounds something that I'm, I'm into. So I took him up on the offer. He had a little, a little gym in the back of the, uh, like a little mat area in the very, very back of the gym. Like there was a roll up door kind of by the bathrooms and there was some mats down there. And I, I took him up on a couple classes and, and I immediately fell in love. Um, I was like, man, this I, I got to do this. You know, I, I bought like a $90 Krugens gi. It was a huge oversized gi, not like how they're all cut and fit today. And and uh, I just fell in love with it. And I was going about three, four times a week. And then uh, that was my initial introduction to jujitsu. And I was like, oh, okay, I want to continue this all the time. But I ended up moving out to Vegas. Dude, Krugens gis, those are Vegas, those are old school, man. Oh, yeah, man, it, and it's nothing like the G's are now, nowadays. You know, there's, like, contrast stitching and all this, you know, tapered cuts and all this, you know, really high-end things on these G's nowadays that kind of have, like, a fashion statement with it. Back then, it was just a solid white G with, like, a Krugens um, patch on the side. Right. That was it, man, and it was it was huge, man. I mean, the G was just ridiculous. But, you know, hey, it, it was a G, and I, and I was on the map, so I think that's what counted, you know? Man, I, I, wish, I, so, I wish I had a Krugens G just, just to collect it. Oh yeah, man! It was, it was a classic. I actually kept it for years too. I just recently uh, put it out my garage a couple of years ago. Got rid of it. I sold it in like a yard sale for like ten bucks or something like that. Hey, so but, so uh, so let me ask you this: um, you know, like you go to the gym and you see a lot of people come and go, right? You know, oh yeah, all the time. They might come for a day. They might come for a week, two weeks, and then they end up quit. They end up quitting. What made you stick with with jujitsu from white belt to black belt? You know what? I think there's a lot of things that made me stick with it. You know, um, for one, I, you know, I saw that it worked. You know what I mean? It, it it gives the smaller guy, you know, the physically smaller guy an opportunity. And, uh, you know, especially on the ground, you know, when, when you're standing up like in boxing or something like that, you know, reach and height, all that plays a, a big, you know, part of the game. When you're on the ground, um, you know, technique conquers all, you know, so you have a lot of higher chance of, of winning when you take the fight to the ground. Um, it, it not only was it that, but it was just like the camaraderie, you know, like amongst your training partners, you know, cause you get all kinds of aspects of life. You know, you get guys who are like law enforcement guys who are, you know, uh, sales clerks at a, at a, at a convenience store to lawyers. I mean, it, and, and you find this common ground and this common, you know, uh, um, passion with, uh, with grappling, you know, and it's, and, and you see each other grow, and that, and that, that really, like, appealed to me immediately. You know, I, I just, I really liked the fact that it was a bunch of different guys from different walks of life, all with the same kind of, like, you know, love for the art. And uh, the workout was great. You know, 
you, you get conditioned, you know, quick. You know, you, you get on a different kind of conditioning. Um, the weight loss, the, the, the physical, you know, um, building of your body that jiu-jitsu does because you're using all these different muscles and ligaments and joints and stuff like that that you don't use it in, like, a regular gym. And it was just everything in, in the whole really, really, really kept me involved. And sometimes I think people with these enlarged egos, they start – and they're not used to getting tapped or submitted by like maybe a kid, a teenager, or or a, or a woman, and it chips away at their ego, and that's why they don't come back. They need to really check that ego at the door before they come in to step onto the mats. Well, what do you think it takes for a person to become efficient at jujitsu? Mat time, one hundred percent. You gotta you gotta show up. You know, Chris Howder has this quote that says. Uh, it's not who's good, it's who's left. And I think that's huge in jiu-jitsu. You know, it's, um, it's the consistency, the persistence, you know, to get better and to really grow as a person because jiu-jitsu does that. You know, it, it opens up all these different, you know, um, you know, things in life. You know, like something as hard as jiu-jitsu, when you get good at jiu-jitsu, everything else in life becomes easier. And, uh, and that, that's 100% true because you get your ego, your, your, your body shut down every single day. You know, you go step on the mat and, and – you go to grapple with a 15-year-old kid who's just a phenom and you get tapped and it really makes you start to think about like, man, what am I doing? You know, like I came in here, you know, I, I can lift weights. Uh, I'm physically strong, but this kid is tapping me out. So it's, uh, you know, it, it just one, it's one of those arts that just really helps you. Uh, I don't know, man. It just really helps you grow as a person and, and, and people need to, you know, stay on that to grow and, and become a better uh grappler i guess what about um competition you competed a lot do you think do you think people oh, who yeah. who practice uh jujitsu do you think you, they have to compete you know what I, I don't think they have to compete at all but i i do from a, a competition standpoint i do think that competition helps you grow a little bit faster um because when you're training in your in your academy in your gym you know you're training with the same guys on a consistent basis and 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 you kind of get comfortable. You start to learn each other's games. Um, so, you know, if you roll with the same guy every day, you kind of you know what he's going to do. So it makes it a little bit, you know, um, less stressful. You know, if uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes it a little bit less stressful as to where if you go to a competition, you don't know what the guy is going to do. So you have to adapt quicker. And, you know, you get to see a different style of game because not every academy has the same kind of techniques that they teach their students. They all have like an umbrella of techniques, but everybody kind of does their little tweaks to it. So um, I think competition, I, I do think it helps you get better faster um, because of that. You know, the, the stress level is increased. The, um, you know, you're training and rolling with different guys. You're competing against different guys. And then just the whole, the whole feeling of being in a competition is, it, it, it's like no other, you know. Um, you step out to like long beach walter pyramid for worlds or something like that and the electricity in, in that arena is just nuts you know and, and some guys don't know how to deal with that kind of pressure right hey so you know as you're you know, training for jujitsu do you have like a certain diet that you follow or do you only diet before a competition or do you just try to keep the same lifestyle going throughout your days you know uh, since, since I've been I've been involved in jujitsu now for you know over over ten years um, and just grappling my whole life I've always been pretty much into diet and fitness so uh, I like to keep 
my diet pretty consistent, you know, day in, day out. Um, I mean, I'm one of those guys, you know, I like to eat pastries and cakes and ice creams. I got a sweet tooth, so that's always been the struggle of mine. When I'm getting ready for a big tournament, I definitely clean up that diet, especially I'm a little heavy. Um, I usually walk around between like 136 to 141, and for my weight class, the weight the cutoff in the gi is 141.5. So I'm always like right around that. So if I need to cut off a couple pounds, you know, I'll cut out the sugars, you know, all that kind of stuff that you shouldn't be eating. Um, and I think that diet does help your performance. You know, some guys can do it, but, you know, as you get older, you start to realize, you know, those sugars, those pastries, that ice cream and all that really does affect, your, you know, the way your muscles kind of react. Not only that, the way your mind reacts. So when I go to compete in a serious tournament, I do clean up a lot of it, but I do stay consistent with the diet almost, almost all the time. So when, when you're when you're training for a tournament, like how much um, in advance do you start training for the tournament? Like, you know, maybe you might go to class four or five times a week. Do you do you increase your the, the amount of time that you train? Uh, you know, not not too much. I, I'm always I've always been a mat rat. You know, I like to train as much as I can. Um, just because to me, it's like a therapy. You know, it's uh, I feel great when I'm on the mats. Um, I think after I'm done training, it helps me sleep better. It, it makes my mood just so much better. So um, I, I like to stay on the mats at least, you know, maybe five times out of the week. I like to train at least five times. When I get ready for a bigger competition, you know, I might wear something a little bit heavier, like maybe like a heavier gi or I'll throw a hoodie on on top of, you know, underneath my actual top of the gi to kind of, you know, put my body under a little bit more stress. But I, I keep the training around the same. I don't like to overtrain because I think overtrain does a lot of damage to you. You know, it, you know, you, when you overtrain, your body doesn't heal right, stuff like that. So, you know, um, I, I keep the training pretty consistent maybe four to five times a week six six at the most but you know I, I would say average about five times a week do you do you ever train twice a day yeah actually i used to train um quite a bit twice a day so a few years ago i was on a 12-hour shift with my job and working 12 it was really hard for me to get to class you know, after work, because, you know, class would start about 6 p.m., I would get off around 5, and then I had a 45-minute drive back into town, so I would never be able to really make that class, you know, at the 6 o'clock hour, so what I used to do is on my days off, I would have three and four days off, I would do a training in the morning class, you know, get up, have a good breakfast, get some coffee, go to the, the, the a.m. class, train that, come home, eat good, take a nap, hang out with family, and then I would go again and train at night. So that would put me, that would give me about that five or six times a week training. Um, it, it was pretty tiring, you know, like my body would be tired definitely at the nighttime class. But I, like I, I said, I always tried to stay around that five or six times a week for training. So that helped me, you know, accomplish that goal for sure. In, in your opinion, how much different is black belt than all the other belts? Like as far as like competition goes? Oh man, it's <laughs> it's funny you say that because I was just talking to my buddy about this the other day. Uh, you know, I, I felt that I did really, really well at purple and, and brown belt. You know, I, I won Nogi Worlds at purple. I won um, 
SJJIF world at Brown Belt, and then I won Master Worlds at Brown Belt. And, and I feel as a, as a competitor, you know, um, I've competed all over the bracket from adults. I've competed in Masters. I've done my weight class, which is like Feather, all the way up to Ultra Heavyweight. I've done Absolute. I've always tried to search for competition. And at Brown Belt, I felt that I was extremely successful. You know, I, I went to San Antonio, um, Texas, all over California. Um, Vegas, and, and I was winning all these, you know, pretty big tournaments. Right when I made my black belt, I fought in the Jiu-Jitsu World League, and uh, I fought this guy named Jensen Santiago. He was a, a Gracie Humaita black belt from, I think, Hemet, California, and he had been a black belt, I want to say had the black belt for about 18 years, if, if I'm not mistaken. And coming off that Master World title at Brown Belt, I was like, oh man, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to freaking do so great, you know? And he completely schooled me. I think he beat me 20 to 2 or something like that. He technically beat me. And that really lit something up in my eyes. Because I was like, man, you know, you get guys that have been black belt longer than I've been training. And they have the patience. They have the technique. They have all these things that they've been building on at that black belt level for so many years. Some guys can get to black belt and really excel right off the, right off the bat. But it's another level of competition because of the experience, and, and that's something you can't really teach. Experience comes, with, obviously, with mat time and competition time. So it's definitely another level for sure. Yeah, when uh, my first uh, black belt competition, the first match that I had, the dude, he schooled me. Even though, you know, <laughs> I didn't get submitted, but, you know, being a Masters, it's only a five-minute round, but... But like you said, man, the guy, you know, he had been a black belt 15, 20 years. He had that much more experience. And I just felt like after the match, I was like, man, you know, this guy, he's like, he's like two, three steps ahead of me. You know, and I, I really felt like, yeah, I felt like a white belt again. Yeah, it's funny because it, it's almost like once you get that black belt, like it just starts all over, you know, like you're, you're almost reborn in jujitsu, you know, and, and that's, that's the beauty of the art is that. You know, you can do so well at the lower belts and get to black belt, and you got to really reevaluate and rethink everything that you're doing because you're competing against guys that have been doing it for longer than we've been training. And that's, uh, and it's either you're going to keep competing and adapt, keep training and adapt, or you're just going to kind of, you know, sit down and just watch these other guys, you know, continue to do their thing and excel. Um, I took it real serious, you know, coming from a competition background, you know, I was like, Man, what, what what have I what did I do wrong? I watched the tape, you know. Friends of mine would record it, and I would continuously watch the tape and realize what I was doing wrong. I started getting online, um, watching techniques that that people were doing and really evaluating people's games. And I would bring it to class and you know try to drill it and practice it in class. And as I continued to compete at black belt, I mean, I, I ended up fighting in uh, Jiu Jitsu World League Worlds at black belt, and I ended up winning. You know, I had a uh, couple good matches and i did really well um i, I fought in san francisco at black belt at black belt excuse me at a uh, 215 pounds and i think i weighed in at like 136 with the gion and i submitted both guys so it, it it definitely uh makes you think about okay what do i have to do to get my game up to this black belt level because some of these guys are just you know amazing and they've been doing it for so long you know how like when you're you're training and you're you're coming up from from white to brown belt and you hit those plateaus kind of for a couple of months where you feel like, you know, you're not getting better, but the people around you are getting better. 
you know, what kind of advice do you mm-hmm. have for, for people who, who encounter those situations? Because, you know, when I was encountering those situations, I encountered them a lot, you know, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, and even as a black belt. And, you know, w- when I was younger, it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't understand, you know, why was everybody around me getting better? And it kind of felt like I was getting worse. You know what? And, and that's, I think, something that everybody struggles with. You know, and it's, um, you have to stay consistent. I don't think that we're getting worse, you know. It's, it's that you're training with the same guys all the time. And, you know, we're all going to get better together. And some guys might be getting better a little bit faster than others. But then eventually you'll get to that level. And then you'll start accelerating your, your you know, um, you know the, how much faster that you're getting better. So, it's kind of one of those things. When you consistently train with guys all the time, they start to develop, you know, a sense of your game. That's why I like the competition because that's how you can really, really test where your level's at. Because everyone's usually in the same age category, the same weight class, and usually at the same belt level. You know, especially in like the the IBJJF kind of tournaments. Right. So that's where you can really gauge where you're at. When you're training with guys day in day out, it's hard to really tell because, you know. These guys will start, oh, okay, I know that Crescencio is going to do this. I know he's going to do this. So they kind of they know what your game is, so it's hard to tell, you know. And then one day, boom, you'll just click. You'll go in, you'll be on fire and just be rolling over everybody. So it's, it's really, really hard. You just have to stay consistent for sure. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I used to go through those, those periods, and, you know, for me it was kind of depressing. It would kind of put me in a depressed mood, especially, you know, I, I'd go to I go to train and I'd get tapped by by guys I wasn't getting tapped by before. And I would leave the gym literally, you know, thinking about it nonstop. You know, how did they get me in this? How did they get me in that? And, you know, and then, you know, comes a point like a month, two months, late, months later, you know, you're you're excelling past them. And I think you're right. You know, we're you just know, like helping each other out. You know, and that's that's one of those things. You know, uh, I think that's that's like human nature. You know what I mean? Like, they always say, "Hey, don't go into you know into class, you know, with the goal of you know submitting all your training partners, and and you know they're not your competition." But just being you know males and and being a human, you know, you're always going to kind of have that mindset, you know. Right. And you you train with guys and, and the goal of jiu-jitsu is to submit the guy you know you want to defend yourself of course first and then you know in a competition setting you want to submit your opponent you know that's the real way to win you know and when you get submitted in training you got to really realize like you know in training you should be opening up your game you know you shouldn't be competing in training you should really be you know searching for new techniques you know you know letting guys pass your guard and and reestablishing your guard you know um getting in positions that you're not comfortable with to grow. And that, that's, that's a hard thing to do because some of your training partners, they're going to want to beat you. That's one of their goals. You know, so, some of the guys I've trained with over the years, they're like, man, I haven't trained you in like, I haven't tapped you in like two, three years, man. And, you know, and then when they do, you can see that sparkle in their eye. And I'm just like, you know, it, it's cool, you know, but at the same time, you're like, okay, well, next time, you know, I'm going to make sure I get that tap back, you know? Yeah, it kind of gives them that fire. Really, really. Yeah, it's a really hard thing to get over, and I think that's just being a male in a martial art, you know what I mean? We are, you know, it's it's a fight, you know what I mean? It, it's a competition, right. and even when you're training, it, it's hard to, you know, check that ego at the door for sure. So, so, you know, as a black belt, are you, like, looking for new techniques to practice, or are you just kind of trying to refine all the techniques that you use? 
You know, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, you see these younger guys nowadays. I mean, I'm on you know YouTube or social media all the time, and I I see these guys. You know, um, not not just developing techniques, but bringing back techniques that we might have not used for a long time. You know, uh, you know, because jujitsu kind of goes in these waves of what's hot. You know, the barambola was hot, X guard was hot, rubber guard. You know, all these different techniques, and then they'll they'll be hot for a while, and then they'll kind of get pushed back into the closet for a little bit, and then a couple years later someone on YouTube will, you know, will throw out a big, you know, um, barambola move, throw the guy up in the air, take his back, and then end up choking him out, and everyone wants to do that, you know, technique again. So you're always kind of like refining your old school moves, cleaning up your game, and wanting to learn. Because, like, me personally, I love learning new stuff. I mean, that's what keeps me extremely interested. You know, when I see something on YouTube or social media, I'm like, man, what was that? Like, I got to try that because you might be able to use that in your arsenal when you go to compete, you know? Right. Yeah, like um, um, I saw this meme on uh, social media one time and it showed, um, you know, some dude in the De La Hiva putting the De La Hiva on some guy. And then the next picture was, it was from like the 1800s. It was some old Japanese dude doing, doing the De La Hiva, but it wasn't called the De La Hiva. <laughs> You know that that that's that's one of the things I guess that I I like, but also bothers me about jujitsu. You know, like, you know, a lot of these techniques, you know, they've already been done. You know what I mean? Um, like Delaheva, like you just said. You know, you saw the Japanese guy back in eighteen hundred doing it, but it wasn't called Delaheva. You get a guy named Delaheva who starts using it and really incorporating it into his game, and then boom, it gets marketed as the Delaheva technique. You know what I mean? Right. So it's. It's one of those things, you know, uh, 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 most of these techniques and these positions have already been done. I mean, jiu-jitsu's been around for over a century now, you know? Um, well, at least what we know as, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's been about a century, right? Like, what was it, like 1920s, 1925, somewhere around there, when they really started marketing, you know, Gracie jiu-jitsu, Brazilian right. jiu-jitsu. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, but these guys, you know, these guys from judo, um, all these other martial arts, they've been doing a lot of this stuff for a long time i mean you got you know the wrestlers back in the days who were you know grappling since you know the you know what was it early greek days i guess i mean i don't know the right. history exactly but you know a lot of the stuff has already been done you know right and, and you know not to cut you off but did you see um some dude on um netflix i guess a guy that um that directed or produced narcos on netflix he's he's making oh. a documentary documentary about uh brazilian jiu-jitsu you know what's funny? I'm always searching for, like, you know, one of the things that we say, you know, in jiu-jitsu, search for knowledge. And I am super adamant and, and, and preaching that, you know, not only amongst the people I train with and my friends, but, you know, that's one of those things. You get to a school and they preach their ideas to you, and then you're supposed to believe that. But then they have this quote called search for knowledge. So you get online, you go to YouTube, you go to BJJHeroes.com, you go to all these other websites, now this Netflix movie that's really going to show a lot of the history. The only thing I hope as a jiu-jitsu guy is that they're true to the history because there's so many different stories, you know what I mean? And, you know, there's there's the Gracie stories, there's the other lineages stories, you know, there's and, and everyone has their own... Um, idea and manipulation of what goes on in, in jiu-jitsu because it's a small community you know what i mean right. and i just hope that when they make this movie that 
you know, that it, it's, it's not just, how do I put it? It's not just one side of the story. Like I want right. to see, I want to know everything that's going on. I want to know, you know, about, you know, Louis Frank. I want to know about, you know, Helio Gracie, Carlos Gracie. I want to know about all this stuff, you know, Mitsu Maeda. I want to know the whole story. And that's one of the things that I'm always drilling into guys. You know, when they come up and ask me questions, I'm like, you know, they'll come up to me and say, hey, my instructor said this. I'm like, well, you know what? That could be partially true, but research it yourself. You know what I mean? And, right. and make sure that the sources that you're looking up is a legit source. And just don't believe what people say. I think that and goes for everything. Say that one more time. I think that goes for everything. You know, everything that you hear, especially on social media. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that I'm worried about with this movie is that, you know, guys that are not in into jujitsu like we are, who are not involved in the jujitsu community, are going to watch, you know, this one side of the story on Netflix and they're going to be like, okay, that's it. When, right. you know, who knows? I mean, I, I can't wait to see the movie, though. I mean, I'm a huge Hickson fan, you know what I mean? And I love jujitsu history. And, you know, there's a lot of controversial topics when it comes to jujitsu. And, you know, and, I love bringing those up because I, I think that, hey, you know what? You don't know the answers unless you ask the questions. You know what right. I mean? And some people don't like to answer those questions because they are controversial. But, hey, you know what? I don't care if it's a bad story or not. I want to know the truth, you know? Hey, um, how long did it take you to get your black belt? It took me eight years. So I started really, really training consistently in uh, 2008. And I got my black belt in September of 2016 um, at Blue Belt, actually, um, here in Las Vegas, in the Las Vegas Open. I fought um, a guy from Nuva Uniao at the time was the number one seed in my division at Blue Belt. And uh, I was like, man, I got to beat this guy. You know, I was doing pretty well in the competition, you know, seen early on at white and blue. I won, you know, Grappler's Quest at white belt. That was, you know, back in the days, it was a huge tournament. And I was doing a lot of tournaments um, in the early days at, at, at my blue belt level. So, you know, I Googled this guy. I was like, oh, I have to beat this guy. Well, in the process of beating him, I ended up tearing my ACL and my meniscus in my right knee. And uh, so I didn't compete for three years after that happened. And I was off the mats for 11 months. I ended up coming back after my ACL and meniscus injury. Um, I went to physical therapy and all that. Came back after 11 months. And I ended up getting a really, really, really bad ringworm from uh, some guy from Canada came to train with us. And um, I guess he had been sleeping in his car or something like that is what the story was. And it got like all through my, my, my chin, all the way up my hairline, through my forehead and everything. And I had to go to the doctor and get all this stuff. And that took me off the oh. mat for about three months. Yeah, I hate when people so, come to the gym and... You know, and I see something on him. I was like, is that ringworm? Because if it is, man, you need to just get off the mat. You know, and, it, and it's hard to confront somebody with something like that. You know what I mean? Well, just it's not hard like, oh, for man, me. This guy. <laughs> you know, that's something I always struggle with. You know, you have kind of have that. You know, like me, I'm one of those guys. I like to shower before I go train. You know what I mean? I think hygiene's huge in jiu-jitsu, especially when you're in that close of contact with somebody, you know, when you're rolling around with them. And you get these guys that, you know, who are gym visitors who come into your academy and, you know, obviously they're not staying somewhere that has like a washer and dryer. So they might yep. be in town for a week and they're, they're training with their gi, throwing it into the back of their trunk, pulling it back out for the next class. Exactly. And this guy has got to clean this up, you know? <laughs> yep. Hey, why, why do you think it takes so long 
to get your black belt in jujitsu compared to some of the other martial arts? Because it's the real, it's the most real martial art there is. You know, there's. I think a lot of guys get a black belt, like let's say Taekwondo, right? You can get a black belt in like under two years. Um, and you're giving these people a false, um, a false sense of security with that black belt in Taekwondo. You know, you get these guys out here, and I'll pick on Vegas. You get like these um, Taekwondo academies out here in Vegas who have these black belts who are extremely out of shape, sloppy technique. They don't compete. But they get a black belt because it's it's almost purchased. You know what I mean? Like, hey, come over here and pay this $150 gym fee a month, blah, blah, blah. Come to class a couple times. And then they just slap these belts on guys so quick, you know? In jiu-jitsu, there's five belts. White, blue, purple, brown, and black. And they say it's about two years per belt, give or take. And it's because, you know, it's hours on the mat. It's There's so much dynamic technique to learn and they don't only want to see you learn the technique but they want to see you grow as a person and it's it's the realest because when you're a black belt in jiu-jitsu or you're one of the higher belts in jiu-jitsu like you know it's it's a sense of accomplishment like you really really earned it you feel confident mentally you're physically capable you know um spiritually you know you find things out about yourself on the mat that you can't find anywhere else when you get a black belt in another art it's kind of like, oh, okay, I got a black belt, you know? And then you fight a grappler, and you're getting submitted in 30 seconds. I, I, think, it's, I think it's bad that they do something like that. And I think that jiu-jitsu really found out the right way to really have people progress through the belt system. And it's the, it's the realest there is, 100%. Right. It, it just seems, you know, I'm, I'm turning 45, and, you know, the way that I train now versus the way I trained when I was 35 you know, is a whole lot difference because, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to be, be in it for the long haul. You know, I'm trying to avoid injuries. Yep. Um, I've been, you know, I'm doing the Orange County Open, so I've been training a lot like this past couple months, but, you know, I'm always suffering from these little injuries, you know, my fingers, um, my toes, my back, you know, they're not serious, but I'm getting all these little injuries and I'm real careful about you know who I roll with and how I roll with them you know mm -hmm. you know I don't care you know if they get a better position on me I'm you know I'm trying to I'm trying to practice and at the same time I'm trying not to get injured you know and and injuries are going to happen I mean jiu-jitsu is a martial art it's a combat sport you know granted we're not striking in in you know in training you know but there is a self-defense aspect of jiu-jitsu that does involve striking and stuff like that but um you know, it's a combat sport, and injuries are going to happen. We're always going to be played with that. You know, you get these high-level guys who who are competing, and they always say, "Hey, you nev you're never a hundred percent," and that's that's so true. You know, uh, we're we're rolling around with another guy. We're using another guy's strength. You know, um, their weight, their physical abilities, and then we're also using ours. So injuries are going to happen. Um, but Jiu-Jitsu is also the one martial art that you can literally train at 100% and not get injured because there's always a way out, and that's the tap, you know? Um, if you're in a boxing ring and you're boxing, boom, throwing, you know, haymakers 100%, you get knocked out, man, you can be out for weeks, you know? Right. Jiu-Jitsu, if a guy catches you in an arm bar, boom, you tap right away and you prevent that injury. Yep. So. You know, jujitsu. We have that. We're we're lucky because we have that long, long, long road. 
when these other martial arts have a very, very short window. You know, when we got, we got it for a lifetime. You know, 100% we have it for a lifetime. Right. How, how long do you, do you see yourself doing jiu-jitsu? Like actually like um, practicing and training? The 100% the rest of my life. You're going to be like you know, uh, funny cause, um, Elio? Uh, up man, into I your love, 90s? You know, I, it, it's definitely the, the fountain of youth, you know? All right. You know, I just took, um, I took about a month off because of work. You know, I, I got, you know, my family responsibilities, of course, or are, are, I put that before jujitsu. You know, I started a, a, a new career. You know, I'm with a new department, and, you know, I, I have to, you know, I bought a new house. A lot of aspects come into play, right? So I took a little bit of time off. But every single day that I was off the mats, I'm thinking about jujitsu, and that, it's crazy because it is literally an addiction. I'll be on YouTube. I'll be watching my buddies compete. You know, um, former competitors that I, the guys I've competed against. I'm watching them compete. I'm like, man, this guy's awesome. Like, you know, he's winning this, he's winning that. Like, man, I, I'm I'm itching to get back in there. You know, it, it's one of those things that I think once the jujitsu bug bites you, it, it, it doesn't go away. You know, it, it's right. an addiction for sure. <laughs> All right, let let let's switch gears real quick. Now, yep, you started your own jiu-jitsu brand of clothing yes i did <laughs> it's called making so, it a lifestyle right it's called making it a lifestyle jiu-jitsu um we i shortened it down and i call it m-i-a-l or a uh, meow and i started this in uh 2015 um you know i was uh at purple belt i started to compete a lot you know after i came back from my, my injury my acl injury um I fought in the Las Vegas Open, and I got schooled. It was my first tournament back. I was extremely out of shape. I cut a lot of weight fast to kind of, like, you know, get back into my competition weight because, you know, with my injury, I ended up gaining a lot of weight, and I got out of shape, like I was saying. And, you know, um, I wanted a, a shot, an opportunity to really get back into that, that, that higher level of competition. So, you know, I was paying for my own fees, going to all these tournaments, and I was reaching out to companies, you know, not just any company, but companies that I had supported, like, hey, you know what, are you guys looking to sponsor an athlete? Um, and I didn't really like the way I was doing it because when you get sponsored by a company, a lot of guys, they don't really, um, like, believe in the brand. You know what I mean? They don't really support the brand. They support getting free stuff. You know, they want free gear. They want to get their tournaments and all this stuff paid for. You know, and that's why most guys, unfortunately, look for sponsorships. And a lot of these brands, I just, I didn't, I didn't relate to. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you got these, you know, these high-level brands, like, let's say, Corral or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? The big companies at the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the names. I'm looking at the logos. And I just didn't relate to them. I was like, man, what does this mean? You know, like... I, you know, I just didn't relate to the brand. I didn't relate to the people running the business. So then I would reach out to these people and they'd be like, you know, they'd have a criteria of what you want to, you have to meet as a, as a competitor to get a sponsorship. And a buddy of mine, um, his name's Eric, man, this guy really, really, really kind of opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, his brother-in-law fell into some hard times out here in Vegas and I kind of took him in. Um, I let him live with me. Uh, he, he, he was going through a, a, a bad marriage and um, going through a divorce and stuff like that. He didn't know where to stay. 
So I reached out to him and I was like, hey, you know what? I got an extra room in my house. You know, you can come stay with me, man. You know, rent free. Just come stay with me. Get back on your feet and, you know, we'll make something happen for you. Well, that ended up going really well for him. He moved back home to Texas and then he got a hold of his brother-in-law named Eric. A couple months later, Eric calls me and goes, hey, you know what? My name's Eric Garcia. <clears throat> I'm from Texas. You know, you took care of my brother, Rich. Um, you know, I own a company which was called Making It a Lifestyle. It's a supplement company out of uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. And, you know, you took care of my family. I'd like to offer you a sponsorship. And I was like, what? Like, I mean, I was totally shocked. You know, I was like, oh, man, this, you know, this is cool. But at the same time, you know, I've never really had a legit sponsorship before. So I was kind of like, you know, well, what, what does this, you know, include? You know, like, like what's going to happen? Is there a contract? You know, all these guys want a contract nowadays. And he was like, hey, you know what? You got the Las Vegas Open coming up. I'm going to pay for your registration fee. We'll get you some gear. And then, you know, whatever happens in the tournament happens. You know, I just want, I want to get you back into competition mode. So I was like, all right, cool. So, you know, I took him up on the offer. I actually waited about two, three months to accept it. But he would constantly call me, you know, like once or twice a month and like, hey, man, do you want to do this or not? So finally, you know, I competed and I lost. And I was kind of like, you know, mentally I was a little bit set back. Like, man, you know, I, I was doing really well at Blue Belt, at Purple Belt. You know, I, I get a sponsorship after I've been searching for one. And it didn't work out. And then he kind of planted this little seed in my head saying, you know, like, you know, you bought this, you know, this gi, this corral gi, and, you know, have you ever thought about making your own gear? And I had no idea how to do it. You know, I was just like, I don't even know where to start. But right away I knew the first thing I wanted to do was kind of give him some love, and that's when I asked him, hey, I really like the, the, the slogan or your company name, making it a lifestyle. I'm a but." I think that's a little bit long. Can I switch it up and can I use it and call it M-I-A-L or meow? And he was like 100%. So he gave me the blessing to use that. I drew up a little logo pretty much at work on a piece of paper. I had my brother do the computer graphics for it to actually make the logo. And then I started reaching out to companies, um, manufacturers within the United States and overseas to kind of see how this process goes. A guy on Facebook had noticed that um, I was searching for, like, a manufacturer and, like, a design place, and um, he reached out to me and said, hey, I have some contacts in New York. Why don't you give them a call, send them an email, and then let's see if they can set you up with the manufacturer. So I took him up on that offer. I contacted him, and I was like, hey, look, I'm a competitor in jiu-jitsu. I had been looking for sponsorships. I never related to these other brands, so I wanted to start my own brand and kind of give it a shot. I reached out to these manufacturers and uh, I did some samples and you know, it's a lot of trial and error reaching out to manufacturers overseas. And I, I designed my own thing and, and made it fit the way I liked my geese to fit. And then people in Vegas really, you know, supported me. And I thought that was freaking amazing. You know, um, I had a catchy slogan, you know, M-I-A-L, meow, making a lifestyle. But then I wanted to add something, and I wanted it to be specific for Las Vegas. And that's when I designed that little Las Vegas star, you know, from the Las Vegas Boulevard sign. Yeah. Have you seen that star up in the corner? Yeah. So that's where I get the star from on my geese. Um, I did it before the Golden Knights. I did it before a lot of these companies out here. And I wanted that to be a symbol for Las Vegas, and I wanted it to be a brand for Las Vegas. 
and I wanted to keep Las Vegas jiu-jitsu athletes on the mat. So that was my goal, to design gear for Las Vegas, and with all the profit that I made from this company, it all goes to my PayPal account. I have a, a business PayPal account. I turned all that money back into these guys. To, I, I, I returned it right back to the guys into Las Vegas. I would sponsor guys here in town. I would pay for their flights, pay for their hotel expenses, their tournament fees, and I would produce gear for them and give them gear. I mean, we sponsored a lot of great guys. I sponsored uh, Chad Lyman's, one of my good friends. He's a Metro officer. He still wears the geese to this day. Uh, Bruce Morgenstern, uh, Jal Pelicano. A lot of these positive guys in Las Vegas I was producing gear for and paying for their tournament fees. And I think a lot of guys in Vegas who know me in the jiu-jitsu community really saw that. I was like, man, I really want to do something for Vegas, and they supported me, and I, I thought it was great. Do you, do you plan on um, continuing to, to make gear and to further your business? You know what? Um, th- that's something I kind of struggle with a lot because, you know, like I, I have, you know, I have my family, I have a new house, I have a new career, um, and it's it's really really hard to stay consistent producing gear, new and hot gear, especially with so much competition out there nowadays. And <clears throat> I didn't like like the gear was blowing up a lot. I mean, I've sold gear from New York City all the way to Hawaii. I mean, I've been in multiple states. I did a bunch of custom gear for Portland PD. Um, and I like the more custom gear better than actually, I, I guess like the customer service, um, aspect of, pr- of owning a business because you got to produce gear, you know, with producing a large amount of gear, there's going to be issues, you know, there's shipment issues, there's, you know, um, material issues and stuff like that. So it, it kind of blew up a little bit too fast for me. To be honest, um, I mean, financially it was great. I was able to, you know, really get these guys on the mats and stuff like that. But I, I felt that my brand was getting, um, I don't want to say too popular because that's like the wrong word, but I, I didn't want it to be like these other brands were like, you know, um, almost like a false image. You know, like you ever notice that a lot of these big brands, like, you know, day one guy wears the brand, they, they think they're some kind of superstar. You know what I mean? All right. I wanted I wanted my brand to be more personal and I wanted it to be more like more custom. I wanted it to be specifically for guys in Vegas and I wanted there to be a meaning behind the brand, not just a meaning, you know, into my bank account. Right. So I am producing more and more gear, um, but I'm not I guess promoting it as much. The guys who really love the brand and the guys who have been supporting the brand since day one are the guys that I can continue to support. I just did uh, three new geese, um, geez, maybe like a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago. And, I mean, I did a bunch of geese. I threw it out there to my, you know, social media guys, you know, and I was like, hey, you got, are you guys interested? They all supported it. And, um, you know, normal geese, you know, they go for, let's say, about 150 bucks. I was selling my geese for 75 bucks because I wanted my geese just to get guys on the mat. And... You know, with that money I made, I produced some more gear, and I, and I came up with that slogan, which is uh, "Jujitsu is my flag." And I did a bunch of rash guards with that, you know, blasted up, uh, across the chest. You know, "Jujitsu is my flag" because of all the politics in this town. You know, right? Uh, you know, I was going to ask you that question next because I saw your you you posted a rash guard "Jujitsu is my flag" on social media, and I wanted to ask you what that meant. 
you know, um, that, that's one of the things, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's definitely a controversial topic, you know, and a lot of guys in jiu-jitsu, especially with these traditional schools, you know, like I was mentioning earlier with, you know, when you brought up the Netflix, the Netflix movie, is, you know, there's, there's so much politics in jiu-jitsu, you know, and, and personally, I've seen it, I've been through it, and I can't stand it. And, you know, there's these rules that you have to follow, you know. Um, there's these stories that you have to listen to and these stories that, that are um, embedded into your mind and people who don't search for knowledge end up believing a lot of this stuff. And there's, you know, there's, if you're a part of a team, 100% represent your team. You know what I mean? Throw on a patch, you know, represent your school, you know, in a tournament. I'm all for that. But when you're at a tournament and you can't say hi or, you know, give a shout-out to somebody or even train with somebody from another school, as a human being, I have a problem with that. You know what I mean? Right. And nobody controls what we do as people. And if someone's controlling you as a person, you're not living your life. So you get a lot of these schools saying, oh, represent your flag, represent your flag. And to me, it's just BS. Yeah, I'm going to represent my flag, but don't push it on me like it's a gang because we're not a gang. Right. It's a martial art, and you're supposed to teach us these these higher principles in life, you know? And that's when I was like, you know, like, where's my flag? Where's my flag? Well, you know what? Jiu-Jitsu is my flag first. You know, people is my flag first. Teaching the art and spreading the art and having fun and growing with people on the mat is my flag first. And that's why I came up with that slogan, Jiu-Jitsu is my flag, because it's, it's anti what everybody else wants to do. Right. You know what I mean? Well, um, Respect to that, man. There's a lot of respect Thanks, right there. Man, I appreciate that. What I was going to say is, uh, <clears throat> you know, Vegas is a, is a very dynamic city. You know, it's the, it's, the, it's the capital of fighting in the entire world, you know. And, and in this valley specifically, we have some amazing schools, amazing instructors, amazing competitors, you know. And, um, you know, and, and, and I think it's great, you know what I mean? You can drive literally 15 minutes any direction and find a jiu-jitsu academy, you know. And it's you know, good instruction, good competition, good training. And why should you not share that time with these guys, you know? And why should you not be able to, you know, give them a handshake and a, and a hug at, at a tournament? You know right. what I mean? And, and, you know, if you're competing against them, hey, compete. Once you're done, grab an acai bowl or something like that. After. Right. You know what I mean? It's like we're not fighting to the death. You know, we have this – a lot of these guys have this mentality that, oh, jiu-jitsu, we're this new-age samurai, you know? Well, l listen – the height of the samurais was in the 1200s, you know, and uh, we're not samurais, you know, and it's cool to kind of think that, you know, like, hey, I'm a modern-day samurai, but we're not sacrificing ourselves for anything, you know, we're, we're learning an art and we're growing as people, and, and I think that's what the main goal should be in, in jiu-jitsu is, is growing as people and, and helping each other, you know, excel in life, you know? Right. You know, the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, like, I, I'm a pretty you know, quiet person. So, but, you know, like if I go to say, you know, like some kind of, some kind of function or a party or something, and I see a guy with cauliflower ear or wearing a jujitsu shirt or, you know, talking about jujitsu, we immediately, you know, kind of become friends. You know, it's kind of like, I, yeah. I've known this guy for, for, for years, but we just met, you know what I'm saying? 
definitely you know and that's the beautiful thing about this art you know it's like we have this common understanding you know and uh and i don't understand why you know you wouldn't want to be cool and friends with these guys you know it's like we all understand what jujitsu is you know and it's uh it's unfortunate sometimes that you know you know people end up you know preaching those ideas to to their students you know and it's just not something i agree with at all you know and it's it's something that i'll never agree with and you know, I, I'm sometimes you know my my mouth gets me in trouble, but you know what? Hey, I was given a mouth, and and I don't tell anybody how to think. I just tell them, look into it, right? And, and that's the key. Don't be don't be keeping yourself away from from the truth, and 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 always search, you know, for the right answers. You know. Right. Okay. Last question. Do you plan on Do you plan on opening up your own gym? You know what? That's something that I'm. Another thing I'm always struggling with. You know, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely that's definitely one of my dreams. You know, I would love to open up my own school, um, and it's you know there's there's a lot of commitment to that, and and I think if I'm gonna do that, and I'm gonna commit myself to something like that. I want to commit myself to my students, and just right now, it's it's not the time for me. Um, maybe down the line, yeah, I'd love to, but. I don't want to be one of those instructors that has a school and, you know, um, is having his underbelt, you know, teach for him. You know what I mean? Right. I think if you're going to open up a school, you got to commit yourself to to the students, you know, um, and if you're going to have competitors on your team, you have to be there to watch your competitors compete. You know, you see a lot of these instructors that, you know, they, they, they preach, oh, you, you know, sign up for this tournament, sign up for this tournament, because when you win those tournaments, it makes their school look better, you know, but they're not even there to share that experience with you. They're not there coaching you on the mats. They're not in your corner. And, you know, that sucks, you know, and if I'm going to do something like that, I want to be committed to it. Right. And um, it's, I, in the short answer, yeah, I think I will, just not right now. <laughs> All right, brother, man, thanks for, uh, for coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. Cool, man. I, I really do appreciate it, man. Hopefully, uh, you know, everything I said wasn't too, uh, too out there, you know? Hey, thanks for joining and listening. I hope you enjoyed episode two of the podcast experiment. <laughs>